0: you can't shoot a deer out of its bed and you can't show skinning a deer. You can't drink beer like shit like that. That uh, <laughs> Wow. That's
1: just, that's just that's not American. Like, uh, <laughs> I, I didn't know that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That I was mean, pursuit. Like, I didn't I, think pursuit had any standards.
2: I want I to be drinking a beer, skinning a deer and shoot one out of the bed at the same time. Like, <laughs> I mean, and I can't do any of that. <laughs> be laying in his bed. Yeah, with a I know. Light. Like, <laughs>
1: And we're back. I am. Coming in on 40, man. Are we there yet?
2: No. no 39-ish. <laughs> uh, it's hunting season, though, this weekend. Just about. Yeah, we're, we're turning the page here. Got a big front that came through. Almost too early. Not that I, like, am not excited for this weekend, but, like, I want this front about two weeks from now. Two and a half. Or even just a
1: somewhere. day later would have been, yeah. Would have been sweet. But.
2: Yeah, I mean, you see it now because I think it, It swept through Illinois two days ago. And so this morning it seems like and last night there was a lot of activity. Mm. So it's gonna be close. I I would be I would bet we see a lot of activity on our cameras tomorrow.
1: Uh, Tomorrow would be the day. I mean, if you're gonna pick a day, but Yeah.
2: But so we've got you're going
1: to Ohio. You and Bachman are going to
2: Ohio tomorrow, right?
1: Yeah, and his girlfriend's flying in a day later than I thought. So we've got Friday Saturday. Saturday, Sunday, Monday. Monday. If we need it. Yep. Or if we want it. Yep. Which, if we do that, I'll just work from the farm Monday.
2: Which I think you were, we talked about it the other night. You've got a pretty good buck on camera. It's just
1: wind. Yeah. Yay or nay. I've only seen him there on like south or southeast winds. And he's coming from the west, northwest when that happens. And we're getting west, southwest winds this weekend. Mm -hmm. Which is better for the... You Know there's no stand there. I would do a run and gun with the, the hawk saddle, probably is how I'll do it. Mm-hmm. Um, but that betting area where I think he'll bet on any kind of a west wind is kind of to the north. So, what uh, you know, a south southwest wind is not really ideal. Like sure. a west northwest wind would be, yeah, the best to have it in his favor. And, and also, uh, there's like a if people could understand this, they myself included, but we'd kill a lot, kill more, a lot deer. more deer. The way that that works, man, especially on a bait pile, is those bucks are not going to come in in any direction other than downwind. 100%. So if you can find a way to approach and position yourself over that end destination, whether it's a bait pile or a food plot or whatever it is, that also allows the buck to come from the opposite direction but with the wind in their mm-hmm. favor. It's just a concept of that inside trail. Like if, if you find a food source, you go in the woods like 20, 30 yards, you'll find a trail paralleling it, typically on the downwind sure. side. The trick is getting on the opposite side um, you know, from where the buck is coming from and mm-hmm. with the wind in his favor from that food source. And so at the very last moment where he thinks he's smelled everything in that food source and is able to approach, you know, he's he's right yeah, sorry, there.
2: Gonna get him. Yeah, it'll be interesting. I mean, <clears throat> we were just talking, that you know, this kind of front that we've got coming through here, and, you know, it's definitely getting deer. We saw, is it yesterday, we had a pretty good buck in uh, Illinois on one lease. This morning we had another good buck on an Illinois lease.
1: Which one was yesterday?
2: One on Hobart. Oh, yeah.
1: Three-year-old-ish,
2: right? There's two different bucks there.
1: Okay. Yeah. That one's interesting. I, I've never seen such a like a black and white difference for... I don't think it's just that, oh, they're going to come find this scrape now. It's literally that the habitat in there is such a high stem count to take away from Sturgis. Yep. They don't want to be in they there. They don't want to be in there with their velvet. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They, they wait until they, their antlers are hard enough that they can go raking through that stuff.
2: And I wouldn't be surprised if not already very soon that that corn is down. Um on his property. The beans will still be standing for probably another couple weeks. But Yeah, we still don't have a good picture of that real wide one we saw, huh? We've seen them in the background a couple times. We've got that tall one on camera. So there's there's definitely two shooters that we know of in one group. There was one across the road that was a giant. So, I mean, there's definitely some big bucks. I doubt, um, based on the size of the one we saw this morning, but, you know, we saw that probably 160-ish 10-point by that lease. And um, that one this morning was probably 150-ish. Maybe yeah, still a good, great buck, um, but probably not that one, that 10 we saw in that field. So, yeah, I mean, it's, they're starting to move, you know, acorns are just raining down. Like right now there's just, they're flush with food. So it's not that I don't think that they're moving. It's just, they're still not expanding those home ranges quite yet. When the ag goes away, that's when all of a sudden you're going to see like where that buck come from Mm -hmm. because it's just, he's going to be on his feet moving a lot more. So so we'll see, but I mean, you know, looking at uh, that where we're at, you know, a couple of days ago, Midwest got a big front going through, and so our guest today, uh, Brennan Nading, is an Iowa guy, uh, he's currently in, in Wisconsin doing some things, but, you know, the the guys from The Breaking Point, um, you know, we've watched their stuff for uh, several years, a couple years now anyways, so. you know, they were one of the guys that we originally got on when we started talking about the Dakotas and hunting there, um, and I feel like... It seems like they've expanded their crew um, a lot in the cu- last couple years, mm-hmm. um, so it'll be interesting to kind of hear, you know, from Brennan, like w- what those guys are getting into, and and really he'll probably be a good one to talk to about this whole new, you know, YouTube wave coming across of demonetization of these platforms. Yeah, um, and I'll be interested to see what his take is on that, and you know,
1: if they have a strategy of, you know, what's next? What do we do next? Yeah, I think the breaking point for me anyways was one of those like um there was like a handful of youtube channels or um you know groups of guys that, that seemed to pioneer like away from some of the major networks and that was you know happening i guess it would have been like f- four or five years three, ago, three four or five years ago at this point um I, to name a few i guess you had like you're gonna have to help me here yeah you had the breaking point mm-hmm. midwest whitetail was kind of a Mm-hmm. a class of their own. Whitetail Edge and Ben was kind of breaking out from that. Whitetail Edge definitely was one of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's been a few other, like there's this, there's a Team Radical who mm-hmm. I want to talk to at, at some point. Yep. There just seems to be, you know, and then Sturgis came up and, and over that, you know, in, in a big way. He mm-hmm. just had a different... Uh,
2: but yeah, they were kind of trailblazing this, like we're still going to make a cool show, but we're not going to buy a $100,000 time block on TV.
1: yeah. Yeah, there, there maybe even that Dominator, mm-hmm. those guys had, you know, a thing going. And I bet Brennan's got a good story. I mean, because, man, it, it was really tough
2: early in that game. And we we kind of dabbled in it a little bit, but it was really tough early in that game to say, listen, we produce this high-quality show, which they do, <coughs> but we're just going to put it on YouTube and on these platforms. And, you know, and most manufacturers were like well, cool, I'm not going to pay you for that. Like, you're just making content and put it free. And this was prior to everybody realizing how valuable content was. Um, And so, you know, you were trying to scrap things together at that point. Um, Whereas now, I mean, if you make great content, like, you know, I won't say people are lining up, but if you can make the case for it, you've got really bright future in terms of how you can partner with companies and, and grow your own brand mm-hmm. but back then it was mainly like oh you've got a youtube show cool i'll give
1: you some product the hunting public is obviously one i should have mentioned mm-hmm. but yeah i'll be interested to hear Brennan's take on uh just the origins of their show and kind of where it's where it's going and it seems like like you said they've added quite a few mm-hmm. members to their team this this past season so yep cool let's bring them on cool hey welcome back sir
0: Hello. <laughs> yeah you got it sir gotcha
1: cool i always feel like it's so much pressure for the guests when it's like uh you've been sitting there waiting and then it's just us both looking at you like hey hey
2: (laughs) at least this isn't like a a live thing it's not like you're on live tv everybody's watching you it's all men there's no pressure (laughs) yeah that's exactly it so um well go brennan we appreciate you jumping on man jared and i were just talking about you know i feel like we've kind of watched the the Breaking Point evolve here, you know, over, I don't know, the last three or four years. And, you know, I, I guess just for everybody to kind of get a baseline, you know, m- maybe give our listeners a little bit of information of kind of like uh, your involvement with Breaking Point, how it got started and, and kind of the journey that you guys have taken. Because we, we've we set out of the gate, you know, it felt like you guys were one of those shows that said, hey, we're going to make a high quality uh, episodic content piece of show but we're not going to go the standard route of television, right? We're going to go this digital route and, you know, we know working with manufacturers and stuff that four or five years ago, that wasn't easy, right? People looked at you and were like, Oh cool. That's a great show. But like you're on YouTube, I'm not going to pay you to do that stuff.
0: Correct. Yeah. So we are in the, with the breaking point, we are filming our ninth season, uh, this fall right now. And it started, Um, I met my business partner, Mike Mansell, in college. We both went to the University of Wisconsin-Stevens Point. And shortly after college, both uh, him and I have have been running around with cameras and more or less uh, filming with friends and stuff like that up until that point. And then after college, we had started investing in uh, newer camera gear. Um, Mike was starting to teach himself to edit at the time. And we really just said, uh, we we're starting to put enough money into it. We decided that we either need to go all in on this or we just need to ax the idea altogether because we were starting to spend too much money and mm-hmm. stuff like that. So, uh, yeah, we did it. We, uh, actually our first year we aired on pursuit channel for two years and then wild TV up in Canada. And about that time is when TV numbers were on the decline and yeah, we made that jump to digital. Uh, We were actually on our way back home from ATA the one year, and we were just sick of how everything was going um, with TV numbers, um, had all those meetings at ATA, and, you know, people weren't really interested in TV anymore, and uh, we were kind of brainstorming on the drive home from ATA and had the crazy idea of, in our next season pretty much on Facebook at that time. We didn't even have a YouTube channel yeah. and uh, we did it. We went um, digital that first year and we started making a bunch of phone calls. And we got on, uh, I think that first year we were on 10 different digital streaming platforms and our analytics were like night and day difference from TV. Mm-hmm. And uh, then we just had to figure out how to, uh, you know, sell this to, uh, brands and partners that we work with. And cause that was new at, at that time that was new to everybody. Nobody yeah. else was 100% digital. They might've streamed stuff on digital platforms here and there, but they were still clinging to TV and we just went all in on it. And, uh, it was the best decision we ever made. Now. I think we've trimmed, we've trimmed back a few platforms that we air on, but I think this year we're still on seven or eight. Uh, digital streaming platforms and uh, it's, it's been, it's been good.
1: Okay. Can you rattle some of those off? I think originally when I found you guys, Brennan, it was on carbon TV. I don't mm-hmm. know. Are you guys yep. still on there or?
0: We were, we were on carbon. Um, I think actually we were probably one of the first 10 shows on carbon TV. Yeah. I think that's when right. they started mm-hmm. and, and we had, uh, we had great numbers at carbon for probably three years. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, And this is my opinion only, but the the platform almost got saturated, I feel like. Yep. And they brought on so many shows and um, it was just kind of our stuff kind of got pushed to the back. Yep. And our numbers were shit. So we started focusing more on uh, YouTube is one that we're pushing big now. Um, We still have a really good uh, following on Waypoint TV. Yep. um, Facebook, IGTV vimeo um my hunt fix which is up in canada wild tv Mm -hmm. um we still air on the on the regular tv up there um I'm probably forgetting some, but I'm those sorry. are those well, are our main ones. And freaking then we have our own Roku.
1: Yeah, dude, the dude. reason I stopped watching Carping TV was because of those freaking Chevy commercials, and, <laughs> and, and those alone. It was either Chevy or Daniel Defense. Like or those were Kubota the only. Those were the like, other. One. Yeah, that was it. Other than that, it was just like I heard no th- other. that guy from the Chevy commercial every like 30 <laughs> seconds. I was like, I just can't do it. Like, there's no content worth yeah. enduring this. Yeah,
2: that was. Yeah. I think that was a big kind of uh, learning curve for those guys when they started getting on the monetization side of things, and then like Brennan said, you know, the amount of content they brought in. Yeah, they were promising a lot of the shows. Like, hey, we're going to give you this much, you know, awareness, and publicity, like and Brennan stuff.
1: Experience they did for a while because sure there was a few of them. I think like Team Two Hundred, I thought yeah. was another one. Ben's, you know, Whitetail Edge. I think Team Radical was on there, maybe. Yeah, there was a few that got like a lot of love for a couple years, and then like you said, Brent, I agree. They Just brought all kinds of stupid shows on. They they started. Wanting to be, like, a redneck lifestyle type of a... Well, yeah, they had, like, the farmer shows
2: and things yeah. like that, which I'm not saying were bad, but... Oh, compared, they weren't good. Well, <laughs> compared to what they were trying
1: to make themselves into originally, yeah. it, was, it was a deviation. It got to, well, did so many so many channels seem to do that. Like, it's like a... Yeah. You know, it'd be, like, October 15th in the evening, and I go, and it's, like, tarpon fishing. What is this? I know, man.
2: <laughs> well, and that's that regionality that kind of... Um, you know, get stomped out. Brennan, question for you, and this is something that obviously, um, it's what's today, 23rd? 23rd of September, over the last 10 days you know, there's been a lot of conversations around Utah, uh, YouTube's monetization policy change. Right, and we see like guys like Seek1 get a 30-day suspension and monetization for, for showing kill shots basically is what it comes down to. How are you, I mean obviously hearing you're on these other platforms you've diversified, but you know, in your head as a content producer who's on YouTube and probably has worked really hard to build that YouTube up. Like, what are your thoughts around
1: that right now? Maybe before you answer that too, Brent, would you say YouTube is your guys' biggest platform at the moment?
0: That is our, we are pushing YouTube the the most right now. Our YouTube's only, I don't even think we're at 11,000 subs right now. Mm -hmm. Um, We're just shy of that. But we haven't really um, put effort into YouTube until this probably the last year and a half. And it is really starting to get traction. So to see that stuff, like what happened to seek one, um, happen is it's kind of, but at the same time, that's kind of why we spread ourselves out on so many platforms. That way, if one of them does crash, we've got something to fall back on. Um, and that was kind of our uh, whole goal. The, with the digital stuff from the beginning was put our stuff everywhere um you know if something falls through on one of them you know we've got something else to to back us up and uh yeah i mean it's scary times with uh with uh, anything can happen in the digital world at any point and uh you just you just never know
2: yeah i i think it's i mean we kind of all saw it coming right i mean it's it's not that much of a surprise but it is scary to see that it's like actually here and this is kind of what we're dealing with i think the hard part and and like to your point is um and i'm not putting any of these guys down, but let's say Seek One or Hunting Public, like a lot of these guys are depending on that monthly YouTube revenue as a huge part of their their monetization for their business. And so you get thrown into a 30 day, you know, quarantine box basically, and you can't collect money, especially for Seek One in October, I bet that's their biggest numbers probably. And then they don't even know when they resubmit if it's going to actually be approved. So now you might be missing out on November. And now the two biggest months, which I you know, I can't even begin to put a, a dollar figure to what that means to them, but I bet it's substantial, you know, in it you kinda again, no knock to them, but you kinda pigeonhole yourself here to where I bet you relied on YouTube money more than you thought you were relying
1: on it.
0: Yeah. For sure. Definitely.
1: Is that your understanding? Is that it's a policy change regarding 100 shot specifically. kill
2: shots are the imminent um action of like an actual impact shot so like if it looks like it's going to like you can't even show like the arrow coming close to making the strike that, yeah. that and so what are you gonna do like
1: you're not gonna cut out the kill shot yeah usually I'm fast forwarding to to that part yeah <laughs>
2: and so you know there was a bunch of us that were in a kind of a just back and forth of Czar and Duncan and these guys and it was like you know, Zara's saying like, hey, we might make a director's cut where we cut that out. And it's like, well, dude, why would I watch it then? Like, I'm I'm not going to watch it. Like, if you're going to have the real thing somewhere else on Vimeo, potentially, yeah. okay, cool, I'll just go watch it on Vimeo. I'm not going to watch your YouTube anymore. And so it, it is, it's one of those things that, you know, we have to adapt to. And then the other option is, okay, cool, just don't monetize. You can have that stuff on YouTube. They're not saying that that content can't be on YouTube. You just can't monetize it. So again, per Brennan, like what you were discussing there and and kind of how you guys have spread yourselves out and and probably with sponsors and things. And this is kind of how we've done things with Hunter. Like, I don't want to not monetize on YouTube, but if I have to, in order to show the right content, okay, then I just got to make sure that I can make those monies up elsewhere.
0: Yeah, for sure. Yep. For sure. I mean, in a lot of our, on our media side, the breaking point's not all that we are doing, it's it's definitely our passion project, and it's probably sixty percent of our media company's income. But we are doing a lot of stuff outside of the outdoor industry as well to to make ends meet. So it if uh, the, if it does come down to that on YouTube, it, it, it's not uh, we're not set up to where it's going to make or break us. But uh, well, and I think one thing yeah.
2: too, Brennan, with what you guys have done, and this is I think what kind of attracted me to it is you know one you guys are making entertaining content but you're, you're just making good content, right? And and far too often, some of these shows, I won't say are, are like bad, but they're just, they're not purposeful in what they're creating and why they're creating it. And so I think as you get to um, some of these manufacturers and even your partners and sponsors, like these guys are craving content. Like they definitely don't have enough. And so as long as you're making purposeful content for them, you're likely going to have their backing for you know, a decent amount of time here in the future because, you know, content's not going anywhere. Everybody's going to need it and they're going to need more of it
0: every year. For sure. No doubt about that.
2: So I guess maybe tell so who are some of the partners that you guys are working with right now, uh, on a manufacturing side?
0: Oh man, I'm just going to go right down the list. Yeah. Hit me. Um, HHA elite first light bucket, Ready Seed, uh, Baronet Blinds, River's Edge Tree Stands, Schwacker Broadheads, Tack Veins, Camere Deer, Kill Drift, Hunter Safety System, Phone Scope, Rambo Bikes, Moultrie Cameras, Luminac, Venato, Victory Arrows, Scent Crusher, LaCrosse Footwear, Vortex Optics, Thermo Morel Targets, card of maps
2: there you go man and i assume like you know going through those brands like again most of those brands if not all those brands are just like content hungry like that that's just yeah. you know seems to be the big thing and that's where you know i i guess and you obviously have lived it so you know it better than i do but my guess is that when you guys were kind of first trying to sell this to people i think probably the one thing that we found kind of broke the mold more than like hey we're making the show it's digital blah 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 is Hey, we're also going to be making a bunch of content that we're going to give you guys to use as your brand.
0: For sure. Yeah. I mean, a lot of our agreements with companies is based solely on content creation. Um, the show, I think, is almost just a bonus that they get in show integration, um, but it's, you know, photos, social videos, ads, um, stuff like that that we're producing for these brands. That is really, like, the important stuff. Uh, Just tag social posts. Um, A lot of it's content creation. The show's a bonus, really. Mm. That makes sense.
2: So, uh, you guys are entering a nice season. One of the things that Jared and I were talking about is it seems like, um, what, maybe in the past two or so, you guys have started to add uh, some more players into the fold um, on your end. You know, and is that mainly because originally when you guys got this thing started you're like, man, you know, just for a few of us to try to make all this content's a ton of work.
0: Yeah, um like I said we started out on TV and uh when we we're at that level, you had to have 13 episodes. That's right. you had to have 13 episodes for for TV and so that was kind of always our goal. Um we were always able to hit that number luckily. But once we went digital, there's no cap on how many episodes you can have or what you need. So we, our goal was to put out as much quality content as we possibly could. So in order to get above 13, we needed to add more guys. Cause I mean, we are stretched pretty thin as far as hunting and traveling. And we're not going to canned hunts where we roll into an outfitter for a four or five day hunt and have a pretty good chance of shooting stuff. Um, A lot of our stuff is. I mean, almost all of our stuff is do it yourself. We do hunt some private land, but we also hunt a lot of public land and we might spend 15 or 20 days in a location throughout the fall. And you can't, you can't put up big episode numbers when you're spending that kind of time just to create one. Yeah. So our goal on adding people was, uh, to put out additional quality content. And we were very selective on who we added to the crew. We wanted to you know, kind of nitpick through people who, uh, were already experienced, already invested, um, in gear and kind of had a good background in it. And, uh, that's, we, we did what we call a draft a couple of years ago. And we pretty much had a questionnaire where we'd have people answer questions like what state do you hunt? How many times, or what other states have you hunted? Um, how many days a year do you spend in the tree? Blah, 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 blah. Um, And then, uh, we had them put together like a 60 second reel. And we had, we tried to find people that were kind of already like hunting pairs, like hunting and filming each other. Mm -hmm. That way, um, we wouldn't have to, we wanted to bring people on that. We didn't have to cater to more or less. We wanted them to be able to just keep doing what they were doing and submitting their content to us. We provide them with everything they need and, uh, it's worked out good. We picked up some really good people.
1: Hmm. Was there any issues kind of like adjusting to uh, or setting expectation for like level of, of quality to say like, hey, you know, here's the standard that we have here at the breaking point. Here's what it like kind of needs to look like. It seemed like there was kind of a, a learning curve to, to be able to hit that or?
0: Um, I wouldn't say it was a huge learning curve at the, the people that we added on were familiar with our show and they kind of knew our filming style. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I mean, we, we do, uh, we try to do at least twice a year. Um, sometimes more we'll get on actually like zoom calls just like this and pretty much just a bullshit session and like a critiquing. Like Mike does the bulk of our editing and Aaron's starting to get more and more involved And, uh, those guys are the ones that get all that footage in their hand. They see all that raw footage and they, they go through and they pretty much tell everybody, you know, what they're doing, right. What they what they could improve on. And, uh, just those meetings and kind of touching base with everybody and kind of planning stuff out throughout the year has really, uh, kind of put us ahead of the game as far as staying on track and everybody kind of shooting what they should be shooting in the field.
1: In terms of, uh. So when you say shooting, I assume you mean video wise, but is there like an expectation yeah. of quality of animal as well? Or like, uh, no, it-
0: we're, we've never, we've never set that bar. I mean, that's, I think that's, what's different about us. I mean, we'll, we'll sit behind 120 inch deer just as proudly as we will behind 150 inch deer. Mm-hmm. We'd never tell anyone on the crew that, Hey, don't shoot that deer. Um, I mean, most of us are trying to shoot, you know, quality deer. So we're not shooting tiny stuff, but uh for the most part, everybody just kind of does their thing. Shoot, shoot what makes you happy and tell that story, you know, how it really is. You don't have to mock it up to to make it sound good or look good. Just be yourself and uh keep the cameras rolling.
1: Absolutely. So so what is that? Uh, what has your group kind of grown into now? Like what states do you have like the biggest presence in? And, you know, we see a lot of hunts coming out of the Dakotas. It seems like you do Yep, a significant amount of hunting out there. And also Wisconsin, I assume yours are in Iowa too. Um, is that kind of yeah. what it's looking like or?
0: So I, uh, I moved down to Iowa in 2013. Um, and then Mike actually just moved to Iowa, bought a house down there uh, this year. What, was so do, it's was Mike your- and I are in, I
1: Brandon, was deer hunting Sorry, the that? major motivator for moving out there? One hundred percent. Yeah. Yep. Really? <laughs> yep I, uh,
0: I I decided that I well, the, how it kind of all started is I had a good buddy that took me shed hunting down there, um, and <laughs> once I I'd never been to Iowa in the deer woods, and I went down there on one shed hunting trip, and I'm like, oh my god, like this is stupid. Like I grew up in Wisconsin, I cut my teeth hunting in Wisconsin, and uh, I seen Iowa and I think it was about nine months later, I decided I'm, I'm moving like all my family, everything I've ever known is in Wisconsin, but I found myself looking for jobs in Iowa. And I found one within a few weeks. I put in my two weeks notice at my job in Wisconsin and, uh, found a place to live and put everything I own in a U-Haul and down the road I went and I've been there since. You got a wife, but no, I had one once it, uh, it was short-lived.
2: Deer hunting. But, will do uh, that.
0: No. <laughs> You're like, yeah, but
1: then I moved to Iowa. So. <laughs> well,
0: yeah, but, uh, anyway, Mike's down there now. Um, and then we've got two brothers, uh, Nate and Nick Monzik. They are out of Missouri. Um, pretty close to St. Louis, okay. but they do most of their hunting in Missouri. Um, they travel a little bit for turkeys, uh, elk, but, uh, most of their whitetail stuff is Missouri. And then, uh, the rest of the guys are all up in, uh, Wisconsin. Very cool.
1: Did you say you have? We a, hunt. We hunt everywhere. You say you have a day job in addition to all the media stuff you guys are doing.
0: Nope, I was able to walk away from my job uh, two almost yeah two years ago now. Wow. Um, I I worked for a pest control company out of Des Moines in Iowa when I moved down there, and I had a really a really good gig. But it just wasn't what I wanted to do the rest of my life. This was what we, what I wanted to do. And uh, so I just we just kept trying to grow this business. And it finally got to the point where uh, I was able to walk away from my job and never look back. That's the so, way yeah. to do it, man. Very cool.
2: Yeah, I think it's interesting as you guys, you know, you kind of see that as you can find key team players that are able to provide content. And, you know, again, the more content you have, the more selective you can be in what you're showing and what you're airing. And then just the more that you're able to give back to your partners. um, You know, I think that as like a lot of people are listening to this, you know, there's, I don't know. I mean, I guess there's probably as many, if not more. I mean, it seemed like there was a boom probably in the what, five to eight years ago when people just were like, yeah, I'm going to start filming my hunts, right? And everybody and their brother, I felt like was filming their hunts. And I I assume that that some of that's still around. Some of it has kind of gone back to like, well, you know, I'm just going to hunt. Like, I just want to get back to my roots and hunt and I don't need people to see it. But I think the people who have stuck with it have realized that there's, you know, it's kind of a second passion hand in hand with hunting. Like, I just the other day, I was going back and watching some of the hunts that aren't like necessarily the best film, but from four, five, six years ago. And it's cool to be able to relive that stuff, you know, as the hunter. Some of your hunts? Yeah, just some of mine that I had, you know, and it's just a lot of it self filmed back then, Mm -hmm. you know, because I didn't have a camera guy in the tree.
1: Yeah, I think I I kind of have split feelings about that in in that, like, I, for personal use, yeah, obviously it's awesome to have that stuff to go back Mm -hmm. and relive and, um, even from like a YouTube standpoint, like it's cool, I think for people to be able to to post their hunts and stuff. But I also think it's, it's not necessarily those content producers faults as much as it would be like the, the platform of something like a YouTube is like that, that I think played a really big part in the dilution of like the, the hunting industry. Mm-hmm. Cause before that you had, you know, what at the time people would call some really quality productions, like whatever that would be your bone collectors, your Jim shockies, like mm-hmm. the guys that had. A big budget, a high quality production, and a a budget to put behind producing a um, show—you know—now kind of buried on some of these digital platforms with guys that arguably are just as good hunters, but you know aren't turning out nearly as high quality of a production. Mm -hmm. You know, and so it's not at all to say that those guys aren't as good as uh, of hunters or deserving of a of you know a TV show or something like that. But like, I it definitely seemed like at that point the industry just like threw their hands up. They're like, we don't know. We don't know. Like mm-hmm. we, we're not going to put money towards TV because clearly there's something to this digital, but we don't know who to invest with on digital because there's so much of it and some of it's okay and a lot of it's garbage and some of it's pretty good. Well, in the tough
2: selling I Brennan, probably in where you were, you know especially in those early days was that if you put it on carbon or on youtube or something it was a free platform Mm -hmm. you know whereas when you were on tv people are looking at you and saying okay like i know you're paying x thousands of dollars for this tv block so you have an investment in that thus then justifying a sponsorship it wasn't that you weren't investing in the content and production on youtube and stuff but when you were putting it on that free platform most these manufacturers are like cool like what do you want product Mm mm-hmm you know cuz they they didn't see it back then as content effort you know to be produced they just looked at it as you make content and put it on a free platform these guys make content put it on a platform that costs 200,000 you know
1: i think was really short-sighted of a lot of manufacturers that, that was a mistake yeah. Um,
3: yeah
2: i completely agree yeah it was it was definitely something that was hard lived and and frankly i think a lot of these manufacturers probably missed out on opportunities yeah, because of it, yeah, you know, sure. where they could have made a small investment and in, in guys like Brennan and his team and other digital producers at the time and now have grown grown into like, look at the amount of content you could have got over the last seven years where again, no knock to them. But if you look at some of these big TV guys who are getting paid a hundred plus K, like they're not giving you anything. Mm-hmm. You
1: can't get anything out of them, mm-hmm. you know, besides what they're producing for themselves. Yeah, it's just, a, <clears throat> it's just a different mentality. And it's just, it's a shame that there isn't, A network that can afford to or has chosen to you know pay well i know that there are some like there you know i think some guys are are maybe starting to purchase um content but like really that's what gives content producers the freedom um to put out um what's the word authentic content Mm -hmm. not tailored to it's to to partners you know which inevitably like we, we have to do because that's what pays bills for us to be able to do anything. It's a slow adoption. And I don't,
2: I don't necessarily know all the inner workings of some of these like waypoint and stuff, but like outdoor America, for example, you know, I know that those guys are starting to pay, you know, content producers to make original content, short stuff, right. Four times a month, we'll pay you X thousand per month. Mm -hmm. And then on top of that, if you air your content with us, like carbon used to do, and some of these other ones, we'll give you 30% of the ad rev share. Well, you know, the platform has to be successful in the amount of money they're bringing in, in order for that 30% to actually mean anything. And it definitely isn't going to replace YouTube overnight, you know, which is essentially functioning in the same way. If you're monetizing your videos, you're making a percentage of the ad that's run by Google over top of that. Um, But eventually it might, it might catch up to where you can be on a call it hunting or firearm-friendly platform, whether it's Outdoor America or whatever, get a percent of the ad revenue. In addition, maybe they're paying you for content and that monetization strategy there is is basically fruitful, and if that's the case, man, sky's the limit for the content producers on our end. That's where we have to get, right? Standard TV, like if I'm watching Deadliest Catch or Wicked Tuna or whatever, right? Those Discovery Channel those guys are buying that content. They're paying those guys to make that content. We are literally the only industry that is still sitting in a spot where basically we're paying to make our own content and then give it to someone else. It's so ass backwards, it's crazy, but it's just because everybody has to get on board from the platforms to the content producers to the manufacturers who control most of the budgets and if they
1: don't it can't happen so we're at yeah yeah you're you're right well and um it'll go against what probably a lot of these platforms are doing but like i just um i don't see like standalone hunting specific platforms being successful ultimately um like your Masio Go your Real Tree 365 it's like th- those things are cool you know mm-hmm. and it's a, it's a nice like intermediary for like for now to be able to find some content you know B- but ultimately I think convenience wins with the consumer at the end that's and why it's still Facebook and nothing <clears> else <throat> but Facebook w- well that or it's like well I guess you know my hunting show is not on my cable box anymore or whatever I'm using to watch like uh mm mm-hmm. Amazon stick, or, um, I guess it's just gone, you know, and unless I really want to go find it, which I can, I can go to YouTube Mm -hmm. essentially, and I can find that stuff. Ultimately, if a network can't figure out how to have, you know, great lifestyle content news that also includes hunting in some aspect, like that's, that's the only thing that I think is going to, I'll compete like YouTube in, in any way. Yeah, because
2: I mean, Brennan, right now, you you basically, have, as have many, have taken the mindset of some of all parts, right? Let's be on all of these different platforms and there's some people that will watch this platform and some people that will only watch this platform. But together, you're capturing an analytical number that is substantial, right?
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, I think last year we were sitting across all platforms. I think we had 5.5 million views um and it was spread out pretty evenly across all of those platforms so i mean a couple of them are a little higher than others Mm -hmm. but all of them all of them are contributing i mean we've got you know a different crowd that will watch on waypoint or youtube or wherever Mm -hmm. and uh it's uh yeah everybody's kind of got their platform that they like to go and find content on and to each their own i mean as long as as long as people are watching it, we don't care where they're watching it.
2: And I think that goes back to your point. I don't know if there ever will be, besides YouTube, and who knows how long we can air hunting content on YouTube, but I don't think there ever will well, be that's a key single platform. It's going to be, you're going to have to stride out there and find multiple touch points to make sure that you're reaching as much of the demographic as possible. And that sucks. Yeah, it sucks a lot. It's it's a lot of extra work and it's dividing analytics and then you're comparing apples for the,
1: oranges. Yeah, for the whole industry. I mean, yeah. it's way harder than it needs to be. And it's just because we're a, oh, what's the word? Like a, a targeted or like a, a controversial subject we we, you know just like firearms or as much as we don't want to say we're divided
2: like and again no knock to them because I know both of them very well look at the fact that like I have to be in Realtree to be on Realtree 365 or in Mossy Oak to be on Mossy Oak Go like and I get yeah and I get the purposes of those platforms but also it's like well dude I just want to watch great content Mm -hmm. like I don't care like that's great that they're wearing your cam over someone else but like Hypothetically, what about all the people that are wearing Sitka or First Light or that, are, that are really good? Like, they can't have their content on your platform because they don't wear your stuff? Hmm. Like, that's just, you know, and that's where the Outdoor Channel had such a good opportunity with My Outdoor TV, but they went the subscription
1: route, which just oh, yeah. destroyed Dude, it. Dude, that's a bummer, too, because, like, that was, that was the closest as in my lifetime that we ever were to, like, strengthen unity as far as this industry And I disagree with almost everything the Outdoor Channel has done since then. Mm -hmm. But man, I wish something like that would could exist again.
2: Well, but like somebody like, you know, Brennan's show potentially couldn't have been on there because they didn't have an OSG relationship.
1: Yeah. Which limits again, you're you're limiting the content like that that, that's I think the maybe not the the difference, but like there what I'm saying earlier is there are some shows that shouldn't be able to be aired on the network. Brennan, I don't think yours is one of them. We all agree with that. There should be some barrier of entry, you know, to protect me, the viewer, from just hours wasted of, like, shitty YouTube content.
2: So that's where I'm looking at it. And again... And I'd be
1: willing to pay a subscription, you know, for that service. Brennan's point, and
2: again, no knock to them. Breaking point? Yep. (laughs) Brennan's point, breaking point, no pun intended. I think Carbon screwed that up, right? They were on that track... And then for yeah. whatever reason, like in, had a like in Tommy Boy with the Biscuit, they just yeah, blew it up. It. And uh, But, you know, nobody else has got, everybody else has some biased filter where if you come in, yeah. you know, and, and like I've talked to the Outdoor America guys about this, is it if you come in and you say, I just want the best content, I don't care who, what camo you're wearing, I don't care what network you were or were not on, I just want the best content for our viewer... <laughs> That's the only way this thing's going to grow past, and I, I'm not saying you can't be successful, but
1: otherwise you're just in the barrel with everybody else who is some sort of bias filter. So what options do you have at this point? Like Aside from traditional uh, sportsman outdoor, pursuit, or wild TV, like a, like a network subscription, mm-hmm. um, what options do you have aside from YouTube, which I, I know is one of the biggest... Outdoor America and Waypoint. Waypoint seem to be the three that offer some kind of a digital There's a Pursuit
2: Go, but that's just like my outdoor TV.
1: Well, and I guess if I would say Realtree 365, mm-hmm. but these are your biased platforms we're talking about. Is Pursuit also one of those? Uh, I think
2: Pursuit is probably taking on Pursuit-like sh- shows would be my guess. Cool. So just, yeah, still bias. So I would assume it's just Waypoint and Outdoor America. Do you, do you know any other Brennan that kind of are wide open to just and taking YouTube. good quality? Well, YouTube, yeah,
1: yeah, Vimeo, I guess, but no. that's not really a high yeah. traffic.
2: What are you guys? Are you guys on Vimeo just as like publicly available, or are you doing like I know we've done some in the past for some clients that are actually like selling episodic content or or video series and stuff.
0: Um. So as far as Vimeo, we don't really push that platform. It's our content's there. Okay. Um, we do, we do get views on it. I wouldn't say a ton. But uh, we just put our stuff on there just because we do have people that watch it there. Sure. And uh, it's not a huge crowd, but it's a crowd. And like I said, every view counts. And uh, it's just a very clean platform, mm-hmm. very clean streaming platform. So we just, we decide to
1: yeah, it's, throw it's it on there nice, as well. It's really high quality, you know better than youtube i it's pretty a
2: video sure. hosting service that's why but the
1: problem is yeah. just for whatever reason they just don't have the they just don't have the audience it's
2: a repository more than anything how about your igtv yeah. stuff how how's that seem to have been working out
0: um again we get we get views there and i think some people that's kind of their weekly routine is to watch it on igtv mm-hmm. and uh it's not a it's not a heavy hitter but uh it it tracks views and People want to watch it there right on their phone, you yep. know, while they're laying in bed or laying on the couch or whatever. Gotta put it there.
2: Yep. And what are you guys doing? Or, or do you have a cadence kind of set up? Like let's we're a week away from October one. You know, are you guys trying to drop like a piece of content a week or or how's that layout?
0: So we started with our with our regular season stuff. We uh we drop an episode every Wednesday. We started in August. We just dropped our eighth episode. Did we start in July? I can't even remember what our first episode was this year. But either way, yesterday, we just dropped our eighth episode. Mm -hmm. Um, And every every Wednesday, we'll drop them on YouTube at 7 a.m. And then we'll drop them on Facebook and Instagram and all the other platforms around uh, 3 or 4 p.m. in the afternoon. Cool. And uh, that kind of gives us the chance to push YouTube for the first half of the day mm-hmm. and then, uh, everything else kind of comes in the afternoon. And cause like I say, YouTube's the one that we're really trying to grow right now. Um, just because of the, you know, the subscriber stuff, there's a lot of retention there. Yep. Um, you know, I, you guys, I don't have to explain to you, but when somebody subscribes to your channel, they're getting dinged every time you post something new. So it's just, it just keeps growing and our traction is finally taking off on YouTube. Um, but that's kind of what we do and then uh, this year we're incorporating a semi-live show uh, throughout the season Um, we just put out our sixth one this last sunday and we're posting those on sunday afternoons very cool um so every sunday we we post a semi-live and that's pretty much whatever happened that week Mm -hmm. um whether we kill something or not we're kind of taking everyone along for the ride as far as how our season's progressing you know, if we're having luck, if we're getting our ass kicked, we kind of want to show that. And I think a lot of people are, uh, enjoying that just because otherwise our episodes don't come out for nine months. Um, right. and everyone's always like, well, you know, we want to see the new shows and this and that. And I think semi-live is the answer for that. Um, our semi-live is not, uh, edited. It's, it's not edited in the fashion of our regular shows. It's kind of more cut and dry, mm-hmm. um, rough cuts. Um, no, no music or any of those fancy edits. It's just real live footage from the field and just more aligned telling the story because when our, our actual season episodes come out, you know, those are, I want to say 300 hours of footage compressed into 15 minutes. And the semi lives kind of given us the ability to tell more of that story to the audience, you know, what actually happened.
1: Yeah. I like that a lot, man. Dude, It's so crazy. Just like how, limited our options have have become or how much it's changed like uh, you know think like what what can you watch? like it's literally like here's what i can watch like on a weekly basis at this point with no outdoor channel subscription or whatever Mm -hmm. i can watch the breaking point i can watch whitetail edge i can watch midwest whitetail Mm -hmm. and i could watch the hunting public
3: Mm -hmm. Uh,
1: yeah like other than that like well, mm-hmm. You know, I'm sure there's other good shows out there. I mean, other mean other guys aren't producing good stuff, and every once in a while, you all the short film drop. You know, and, sure. and there are others that some people like that I just aren't really my cup of tea or whatever. But like, dude, compared to you know when the outdoor channel was in full swing, where it's like at any any night I can sit down and just watch all my shit I can watch mm-hmm. your Dream Season, North yep. American White Tale. Bam, 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 bam. Right down the list, and I think some of these shows still exist, but like I just can't access them, and I'm not going to pay for a, a cable box. Like I am looking into the Outdoor America stuff now, and I'm starting mm-hmm. to come across some channels, but it's it's still laced with you know they're picking up shows and sure. stuff. Um, yeah, I think it's a big th- as far as the on demand aspect. You know, like your guys and a handful of others is it's like it's not like there's a ton of. uh well kind of competition and i think
2: for me and and i think the structure that you guys have laid out Brennan is really good in that like i love seeing a well produced piece from last year right in yeah. the same breath though i really want to see what just happened Sure. I mean, that's, that's today's lifestyle is like, so when you have that semi live piece to accompany that, it's like, cool, man, that was an awesome episode. Heartland mm-hmm. bowhunter is what's another ha- one I should yeah. throw in
1: there. They do a lot of YouTube stuff. Yeah.
2: What's happening now. And I think that the, the groups that have adapted to that, right. The groups that have adapted to putting out a great quality production, you know, a, a year back basically, but also providing yeah. stuff that's happening now, which Heartland has breaking point has. It's a nice it was that That is the mix that's succeeding, right? The ones who are literally only producing and again, no, knock to them, but you think about like Dream Season or anything dreary, that's all old stuff. Mm-hmm. Like I, I mean, it's not that I don't care about it, but it's like, man, but what's happening now?
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, the content producer has the ability to just make a decision about what they want to do and what mm-hmm. they're capable of. Like sure, I, there's one that, you know, I look forward to um, the stalker, stick bows guy, yeah, the guy. south mm-hmm. cox puts out a few films every year from like his previous stuff and um i really enjoy those and he doesn't do any kind of semi-live and you can tell that just meshes with his personality he's like in his 40s 50s, yeah. 50s probably mm-hmm. a little slower pace and it's just him yeah and i and i really appreciate that in fact so, so brennan we're gonna work on putting out some films next year just four of them um, essentially tied to, you know, the four main months of the hunting season, September, October, November, and December, you know, with pulling in some surrounding weeks or whatever. And, um, that'll essentially be our primary focus, um, for, for next year. But at the same time, we're going to complement that with somewhat of a semi live, just in the same way that you guys are to say like, here's, you know, we're more than capable of putting out a, a weekly three to five minute, um, you know, update in addition to those things. And, um, in addition to the podcast. And so there's one other guy I want to throw in there. That's, um, Brian call is your gritty, oh, yeah. gritty, gritty podcast yep. who probably is the most similar to like what we're doing yeah. podcast is being yeah. our, our main gig at this point. Mm-hmm. So we, we do this and Brian had a really successful podcast yep. for, for a long time. I think he still does it. I don't know if, if as frequently or whatever, but, um, he eventually got into making films as well. Mm-hmm. They did the gritty films. And uh, they're not necessarily my my cup of tea. Um, but he, well done. he he's probably the most similar to what we're doing.
2: Yeah, and I think that's the flexibility that we all have as content producers to be like, you can make a film. You can make a semi-live that's three to five minutes. You can make a 15-minute episode.
1: Yeah, you can do whatever that's you want. That's the beauty want. of no outdoor channel. 100%. To contrast my other point is you can do whatever you want. And I love that aspect of it because, I mean, yeah. there were certain
2: like – you know, I don't want to watch a show where the first fifteen minutes of it are fluff and drive into the place, and then it's like four minutes of an actual hunt. Shows over, and it's like, what the hell, man?
1: Or they just keep making five minute teasers over and over yeah. and over again.
2: Yeah. So the, those are the things that I think, you know, the content producers who are doing it right have figured out. And I assume, Brendan, this is kind of how you guys evolved: is that you kind of find what your audience is looking for, and then it's like, cool. If we make this, the audience will eat it up.
0: For sure, and that's that was one of the big uh, draws to going digital. Is when we are on TV, there's so many guidelines and restrictions, and you can't shoot a deer out of its bed, and you can't show skinning a deer, you can't drink beer, like shit like that. That uh, <laughs> wow, that's just that's just that's not American. Like, uh, <laughs> I didn't I didn't know that. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that I mean, was
1: pursuit. Like, I didn't I, think pursuit had any standards.
2: I want I to be drinking a beer, skinning a deer, and shoot one out of the bed at the same time. Like, I mean, and I can't do any of that. <laughs> be laying in his bed. Yeah, with I the bush know, light. like,
0: <laughs> the first year that we were on pursuit, I know we were mule deer hunting out west. And mule deer hunting, the goal is pretty much to shoot Drink a mule beer. deer yeah. while it's bed <laughs> bed. Yeah. And we're like, we're stalking in on these deer and, like, what the fuck? What do you do? Like yeah. you got to get this thing to stand up or we can't show it on TV. And it's kind of stupid that start well, throwing that rocks at it.
2: Yeah. Um, I'd be putting one I'd right feel like right no pipes. <laughs> yeah. No, that's a Lieutenant. Like he was standing
1: up.
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, if, that's half the challenge is getting into bow range while they're in their bed. So exactly, that get man. there, shoot the damn thing. You shouldn't get docked for it. That's crazy. But, uh, yeah. With the digital stuff, like anyone that follows our show, like, if we had to follow guidelines like that, it gets to the point where you're not yourself anymore. You can't show your true personality. We like to, yeah. we like to have a good time. We like to drink beer. And yep. I mean, I think our, that's what our audience kind of clings to and they can relate to. Like these guys have like a deer camp, just like I'm used to Yeah, like hanging out with your buddies, having a good time, hunting deer, drinking beer,
2: yep. bullshitting.
0: Yeah. Like that's what we try to show. We just, you know, try to be ourselves. And if someone puts guidelines on that, we're gonna we wouldn't be ourselves anymore
2: well and that's where the yeah. youtube thing's coming in like okay you're okay if i pro it literally says it in the guidelines you're okay if i do traditional hunting methods and preparation for of wild game for cooking yet the moment that i want to monetize that which let's not forget that it's not just about making money on youtube i mean shit dude if we monetized our channel we make what 20 bucks a month <laughs> you know <laughs> It's it's more so from an algorithm basis that if you're monetizing your videos, Google's probably going to push them more because they can make money off of your video, right? Versus if you're not monetizing it. But now I can't monetize it if I show a kill shot, which literally is the purpose of hunting is to make an ethical kill shot. Yeah, I or, mean, dude, it's
1: it's blatant censorship. Is yeah, it's just a it's just because they can.
2: You know, and it I mean, like, if I wanted to show uh, uh, how to process a deer video, I mean, it's basically saying I can't monetize that because it would be offensive.
1: Was that uh, Newberg, you said, just picked up a sportsman? Which is like the TV antichrist. Yeah. <laughs> like, he just, he hates Is he? Well, he was on a network for a long time, right? And he left
2: because he was just so frustrated with network restrictions and stuff, things that he can and can't do. So he went digital, and now it sounds like he's potentially having to go back or at least entertaining it. I like that guy. Newberg?
1: He is entertaining.
2: Yeah. yeah. And it's just, again, like, the problem is I get why you're going back. I don't think manufacturers are going to give a shit. They're not going to be like, oh, yeah, you know what? I understand that you can't put this on YouTube. I'll co- I'll pay you $50,000 this year since you're on TV.
3: Hell no. They're not
2: going to do that shit. They don't care. In fact, they don't care if you monetize your videos on YouTube. They'd rather you just do what you were paid to do with you know, providing them content and good video inclusion. The fact that you can't make money on YouTube is not their problem. Sure. So that, and I think that's the situation that some of these guys who are dependent on YouTube revenue are going to fall into who also have sponsorships because they're going to say, Hey, listen, we can't do this, this, and this. Like, If I'm a broadhead company and I'm sponsoring somebody who's very dependent on YouTube revenue, and you say, hey, listen, we can't show this, this, and this on our videos anymore because YouTube won't allow it. It's not my problem. Like, dude, I'm paying you to make this stuff. Just don't monetize it. Speaking of broadheads, I want to talk to you about them schwackers here at some point. <laughs> so I'm ready, whenever. That's it. I mean, what are you gonna do? You know, you either have to not monetize your video and keep your yeah. broadhead sponsor happy, or you have to monetize the video and piss off your broadhead sponsor.
1: Yeah. You know, I'm not necessarily, like, totally opposed to omitting some of that footage, but it's just, I mean, dude, it's the same. It's censorship, and, like, it just feels like freedom being stepped on to say that we can't. For sure. I would rather make the decision legal. to say, like, hey, I'd like to, for our content to be presented in this way, but the fact that it's freaking the same thing as having to get this vaccine. Like, for Joe Biden to tell me, I have to get this vaccine, or... YouTube to tell me that I can't, you know, sh- show this thing that is r- the reality. It's this, It's the same thing. It's just oppression. Yes. So these schwackers, <laughs> uh, I know they're your sponsors, so you have to say that you like them, but l- let me just... Go ahead. Well, I'm going to, but I just want to, I'm trying to figure out where to start. So my issue with these broadheads, and I have shot these things before.
2: It's been a while, right? Four or five years
1: since you shot them? Two or three. Has it? Yeah, I think two or three. Okay. Um... My issue with those broadheads is that they don't open until they're inside of the animal, is the idea. Uh, and so their selling point is that those are fresh blades cutting organs, essentially, which I'm all for. The, the The two problems that I see there is, first of all, there's no entry wound. Unless I get the ones with the, the dragger blades, uh, or whatever they're called, running blades. Mm-hmm. You know the little quarter inch deals, which yep. which does help, and those are the ones that I shot. The bleeders, but and because they're such a big, you know, cutting surface diameter broadhead, which I I do like that aspect. If I don't get an exit wound, I get no blood, and so I had. What,
0: some, what head are you shooting, or what head did you shoot?
1: Um, I shot the original one to start with, and I shot it. Already kind of being aware of that issue, I was like, dude, if I don't get an exit wound, like there's going to be no blood. That happened once or twice. And so I switched to the ones uh, with the the running blades on them, mm-hmm. on the sides. And I think that they actually came out with that one be- because they were aware of that issue would be my guess. And um, it, it just, it still wasn't enough to keep me from, ultimately I switched to just Rage tri is what I shoot now. Um, mainly because it's a rear deploying broadhead and I can get an entry wound. It's just as big of a cutting diameter uh so i run the same risk of not getting an exit wound potentially but at least i have i have an entry wound yeah so
0: you started out shooting the green we call them the green machines the 207s um they're the over over the top
3: Mm -hmm. and then
0: you went then you went to did you go to the levi morgan series like the blue head or did you go to a fixed blade
1: the ones i shot were black yeah, it was fixed. It had a fixed on two sides. Oh,
0: uh, okay. You shot you shot the hybrid then. The hybrid. Yeah, the
1: hybrid. Yep. Mm-hmm.
0: Okay. I'm not familiar with the hybrid. Um, most of our crew shoots the green machines, the 207s. Mm-hmm. We've we've had really good luck with them, man. I mean, the entry hole's you know not as big as the exit hole is, but a lot of the time, like those deer that we're shooting with those, they're usually going down within you know 75 to 100 yards if you hit them well. Yeah. And typically if you hit them back, liver, guts, you're, you're getting, getting a pass through. through. So you're getting, you're getting an exit. The only time you're not getting an exit on those heads is if you shoulder shoot shoulder. or hit the mm-hmm. off shoulder. And, uh, most of the time you shoulder shoot a deer, you know, a deer, or any animal with any head, it ain't a good deal. Especially, you know, if you hit up in the upper shoulder and hit that big paddle, mm-hmm. but, uh, I mean, anything behind the shoulder, you're, you're getting an exit wound with those heads and they're just, I mean, they're devastating. We can, and I mean, we've yeah. been shooting them for, I don't know, five years or better now, five, six years. And, uh, I was like the biggest, biggest, uh, fixed blade fanatic. Like before we started working with Schwacker and all I would shoot were fixed heads. Yeah. And I had a hard time like wrapping my head around switching,
3: mm-hmm.
2: but
0: after I've shot a few deer with these Schwackers, like these things fly. Amazing. Like, uh, I practice with them out to 80, 90 yards. And uh, I mean, they're shooting at 80, 90 yards. They're shooting like my field yeah. points. And that's a huge confidence thing. I feel like uh, a lot of people throw a broadhead on their arrows and they don't even practice with them.
2: 100%. And they have
0: no idea. They have no idea what that arrow is going to do. Yeah. And I mean, that just, just thinking about that kind of scares the shit out of me that people actually go to the woods with that concept, like, Hey, I've been shooting all summer with my field points, got this new pack of broadheads that doesn't have a practice tip and I'm just going to screw them in, you know, throw them in my quiver and go hunting. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of a nice thing about schwackers. They make those practice heads and, and you can shoot them and know exactly what your heads are going to do. And, you know, to say that you have a head that flies true to your field points is huge when it comes to confidence in the field, in my opinion. Yeah. And if you're sacrificing, you know, whether it's a three eighths of an inch or a half inch on an entry hole for a head that flies amazing, I'm going to take that every day.
2: I think that's the big advantage because I I was always a fixed blade guy. Uh, like I shot Ramcats for a long time. A lot I love those. They were the
1: truest flying fixed blade that I'd ever shot. I was going to say, everybody your age was at one time a fixed uh, blade. A fixed blade <laughs> guy. They our making So a couple of years ago. It, <laughs>
2: They were making them. <laughs> yeah, we were. We were uh, pulled the muzzies off the shelf and screw them in. But, I mean, it, and again, back then when you were shooting slower bows, right? Like, they would still plane, but not nearly like, I mean, you put a, no knock to them, but if you put a, a muzzy three blade or four blade on, like, our Hoyts and you fire that, that thing planes like a son of a bitch because there's so much speed coming out of that thing. Yeah, that, and I mean that's the advantage to me. Again, I love the whether you talk about Schwacker Rage, NAP, whoever. Like I love the expandables now. I'm sold on them. Uh, you know, from a tracking standpoint, from a hit standpoint. Like I, I, re- but it's the way that those things fly yeah. compared to most fixed blades, especially when you're blowing 300 feet per second out of a bow.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's been a long time since I've shot a fixed blade. I, <clears throat> I understand why people shoot them. Um, I, I think one of the major like determinants for like where broadheads are are going and stuff is people figuring out, uh, arrow weight, you know, and, and putting, uh, you know, weighting the front of their arrows essentially. And so like I build my bow setup and my arrow cell setup is built for penetration, um, meaning Weighted heavy, I'm shooting 80 pounds out of my bow. You can kill a will- wildebeest with that thing. And the broadhead that I'm choosing is like primarily based on the blood trail that I'm gonna get from it, mm-hmm. Um because I've just I've lost too many deer that I know are dead uh, just because I had no blood. Um, and so, but basically, I'm shooting um, like a, a victory VAP 250 mm-hmm. a 50, 250 spine 80 pound bow. Got an FX archery outsert at the front of it. My total setup weighs like 470 grains, and uh, and I'm still shooting like 300 feet per second out of that 80 pound bow. Um, and then I've just got a r- Rage Tripan at the end of it because it's durable. I get an entry wound, um, big cutting surface, and it's for, for me. I mean that's that's been the solution that worked. I could easily throw on a, a Schwacker and get a similar result. It is that entry wound that's kind of made that decision for me. Mm-hmm. Which is probably why they have those bleeders on there now. Yeah. Yeah. Be my that, that's been their step in the right direction, in my opinion.
2: Yeah. I, I think that when you start to look at kind of the evolution of all those setups, I mean, uh, we all probably in agreeance, just because we are all shooting them right now, is I think Victory makes a fantastic arrow. And mm-hmm. you know, whether you talk about the VAPs or the RIP TKOs, which is what I'm
1: shooting, like, I think the, those arrows are awesome. Well, to be honest, I chose that arrow because it fit the victory outsert that I wanted. Yeah, I'm sorry, the ethics ethics outsert. Yeah, they make a really nice. Uh, I don't know if it's an out an insert an outsert a hybrid. It's basically a a male, you know, shaft that that goes down inside of the arrow, and it has like a. You're talking about ethics. Yeah, I'm sorry, I keep mm-hmm. messing that up. A, ethics, and it has like a sleeve mm-hmm. that covers that outsert, and also you know a half inch of the arrow because you have a bunch of weight. Like I it's, think it's freaking indestructible. The ones that I have, you could are- just shoot a whatever you could shoot a steel wall and just go pick your arrow up and keep shooting it mine
2: are like 55 or 60 grains that are from victory yeah just that small outsert no mine i'm shooting the actual victory ones that go into my vat or my rip tkos yeah but i mean we didn't even lean on that until what three years ago four years ago when we started thinking about all that you know forward balance and momentum and yeah it used to be just speed you'd be like oh cool
1: that arrow's whatever 6.8 grams prince grandparents, prince just shoot it there's been <laughs> fast. A, there's been like a big shift in that stuff uh over the past couple of, i think it started with the like the easton full metal jacket it did was people started saying like oh i can shoot like a heavy arrow and i can get better penetration the reality is like wh- why would you build an arrow with a f- really heavy shaft all the way It makes no sense mm-hmm. and so i think victory took that opportunity to start and they've got some extreme versions of like the grizzly stick sure and the, uh, you know that's all forward weight right yeah. Basically, all you need to figure out is how to get a stiff enough arrow to support a little additional weight on the end. Mm -hmm. um, And then your overall weight and speed matters. And if you can find a sweet spot, you know, that's what you're looking for.
2: Yeah. And flight is also better. You shoot longer distances because you have a more stable flight. Yeah.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And so there are these extremists. So there's guys that will like swear up and down by a full grizzly stick setup. And a two-blade beveled broadhead. That's what like because the public guys to them, are doing, right? Penetration is all that matters, and I can understand why someone might think that, but I disagree for mm-hmm. sure. Especially on a whitetail, um, because there's no way I'm not getting penetration, to say the least, if not a full pass through most of the times with that arrow set up. Regardless of what's on the end of it, mm-hmm. I could shoot it with a, you know, I um. What do you call those things? Like a techno hunt tip. (laughs) I could probably get a pass through on a white tip. Yeah, but the, and
2: I mean, you know, where Brennan's at in Wisconsin or here in Pennsylvania, the amount of pressure that these deer get, they react to that shot. They're Mm going to move. And so that's where, like, I don't want to give up so much speed where these guys are throwing huge heavy arrows and reducing its speed. I still want speed at
1: 30 and 40 yards. So... So when that deer drops, I'm not shooting over its back. There is an argument around that that i don't fully comprehend but there are some guys that will say if you are shooting a heavy enough arrow the sound is eliminated and uh-huh. so they're like it could sh- you could be shooting 250 seat- feet per second and if that arrow is heavy enough it'll this there is no sound which makes no sense to me but maybe <laughs> i know who we could talk to about that we'll get Haas from ethics on it. he could talk about that that's crazy um, I guess Brennan, when you guys start
2: to talk about your season and stuff, are you, uh, you know, and I know you guys do Turkey and Western stuff too. Are you guys primarily bow guys or do you have some guys that are doing gun hunts as well?
0: Um, I would say we are 90% archery. I, uh, I get the muzzleloader out every year for Iowa. Yep. Mike will do the same now that he lives down here. And then, uh, we might, we might have another gun hunt or two, like last year we had uh chad and dan both went out to colorado with rifle tags to hunt elk and shot a couple bulls out there but uh, uh it's primarily archery um and sprinkling a little little gun hunting now and then very
2: cool yeah and so we were just talking before we got on the podcast uh, october 1st is iowa's opener wisconsin's open now right yep
0: yep open last weekend
2: so yeah it's It's crazy to think that like we're already
1: we're in it at this point were you in the dakotas a couple weeks ago
0: yeah um so i kicked off the year mike had a a tag in minnesota to hunt bears which started september one that's right so we started started there he uh he shot a bear on the third day of the season and then uh i actually came back to spend some time with my family. Cause I would have been an odd man out in North Dakota, but we had a group of guys up in North Dakota for the opener, uh, which was on the third or fourth mm-hmm. for
1: muleys or whitetails,
0: fourth. uh, whitetails this year. Nobody, uh, years past, we've had a guy, usually at least one guy I'll put in for the, any deer tag up there so we can hunt muleys. Yep. Yep. But, uh, everyone just got whitetail tags this year. So, uh, we kind of, we have a couple different areas that we hunt in North Dakota for whitetails, um, spread out over a couple mile or not a couple miles, but a couple hours from each other. Um, we have where our camp is that we've hunted for several years. And then uh, a couple of the other guys hunt a couple hours from there. And um, that's kind of been our go-to as far as kicking the year off. Uh, usually we start the season in North Dakota and we have tags left, we'll end the season in North Dakota. But uh just like going up there because you get that early start and uh get a chance at chasing velvet deer, but yeah. yeah, I, I just got back actually two days ago. I was up there for a pretty good stretch. We've, uh, knocked down three, I think four, four white tails now so far in North Dakota, but we still have tags left. So we'll, we'll be putting in more time either heading back up there on Sunday or going to Nebraska. haven't made a decision yet. Might go uh, try chasing whitetails in Nebraska for a week or so, and then head back up there. Not really sure yet.
2: Very Mm -hmm. cool, man. Yeah. We, we spent uh, a couple days in South Dakota and then about five days in North Dakota. And that was a 25 hour drive for us. So we're not making it back, but we gave them hell for five days and damn, it was dry out there.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. We were talking to farmers and, uh, yeah, they said it's the driest year they've had since the early 80s. And uh the one farmer said that since the snow melted, they've had three inches of rain. Yep, like that's all right. Like it's all the cattail marshes were like pretty much dust boxes. It was, it was just crazy. It was definitely, I was, I was really concerned actually when we made our summer trip and seeing how dry it was, I was really concerned about EHD <laughs> and uh lucky for us, I don't, I don't think. It hit where we're at, but I know areas and zones further to the west were starting to find deer. Yeah, uh, where we
2: where we were at, it sounded like they're, at least in South Dakota and potentially in North Dakota, that they were starting to see it happen or at least had heard that it was happening. We didn't find any dead deer. Then again, we found very little water, too.
1: Yeah, so. I mean, it, it was not to belittle, like, what was happening in the eastern part of the state, but we drove clear across it and... The eastern part looked, you know, dry, but, you know, not not too terrible. Uh, until we got to the, the far western part of the state, I mean, dude, it was desolate, completely gone. Like areas yeah. that we had seen 50, 100 deer in a field like every night just because it's, it's loaded with alfalfa. I mean, burnt to a crisp, like almost dirt, mm-hmm. you know, and so it took us a yeah. long time to even find deer because they had left. They, they up and left and... Yeah. They increased the cattle ranges because, you know, the cattle just
2: kept eating everything. So they would keep increasing the range of allowing them into the Badlands and here and there. And all it did is just push all those muleys out. Yeah. Yep.
1: And we did find deer and they were just in like borderline unstockable country. I mean, we... we we tried anyways. <laughs> yeah, we, we stocked a lot of mullies and stuff, but I mean they just they couldn't be mm-hmm. they couldn't be gotten to. But even like in
2: years past we had seen some giant whitetails in some of the
1: river bottoms with the alfalfa non existent.
2: Like didn't a deer in these fields. It's a weird
1: deer, man. It was it was tough. Yeah. It's tough. Hunt. Yeah. We did we did get permission on it. so the the deal in South Dakota is that like I think it was two years ago, um, they stopped allowing Uh, non-residents to come in and hunt with an archery tag on public land until October, until October 1st. Um, Yeah.
0: October one. Yep.
1: Yeah. So we're like, well, F that we're, you know, we're looking for velvet bucks. So we went out and, and we met a lot of landowners, um, on this trip, um, just in hopes of getting permission for, for next year. And we ended up on the, on the way home, actually getting permission on a a really nice, a big ranch. Um, Mm -hmm. and just kind of Talk, just talk to the guy you yeah. know and send him a bottle of bourbon and like he you know he's like i run a pretty tight deal here he's like i don't really want anybody hunting but um yeah. i mean it, it seems like a spot so we're, we're gonna go back and try that exclusively i think for the early season next year and just you know get our point in north dakota so we can be guaranteed to go back for muleys the following year hopefully they get some rain i just looked in the forecast give them a year to recoup they're not getting
2: they're not getting shit it is just dry dry, dry. since okay. we left
1: that's so crazy man with as much rain as we've gotten out here it's like just keeps missing on my gas just not getting it yeah
2: i feel bad for those guys for the farmers and i mean it sounds like everybody's kind of struggling out there after covid as well yeah hmm yeah that's tough man so you guys you've got uh you're gonna be traveling through nebraska and you got dakotas you've obviously got wisconsin and iowa do you guys go do you guys come east at all um
0: uh furthest east that we're gonna be this year is illinois yeah um we, we picked up a lease in illinois a couple guys are gonna be hunting that um other than that i drew a tag down in kansas so i'll uh there you go spend some time in kansas i'm gonna just hunt uh public land down there totally new area uh one of our crew members has hunted public down there in the past he kind of dropped me some pins and uh give that a go I, I don't foresee myself being down there until mid-november probably but uh my hope my hope is to give it a good go pretty much like november 15th through the end of the month that's usually until the gun there. season comes in
2: what part of the state are you gonna be in oh
0: so, um northern part of the state
2: we're usually in the southeast so. part and we try to hit what that third week in november is usually our go-to and we hunt a lot of public down there and i mean Yeah.
1: As long as you can avoid like a
2: hot spell, that's it 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 seems to shut them right down. Yeah. If the weather's good, you're in them. If the weather's hot, you're not.
0: (laughs) Yep. Yep. For sure. We can relate to that. Kansas has been kind of hit and miss for us. Uh, we've, we've hunted Northwest, we've hunted Southeast, we've kind of jumped around and, um, yeah, you, you got to have that weather. I mean, it doesn't matter what the dates are on the calendar down there. It doesn't seem like, but mm-hmm. if you get cold weather anytime in November, it's just freaking hold on to your seats because shit hits a fan.
2: Yeah. yeah. I think it was three years ago, the year one of the years you didn't draw, it like snowed. It was, really it was like 20 degrees. And dude, I was seeing 14, 15 bucks a day, mm-hmm. you know? And then last year it was fucking 80 degrees. Yeah, it
1: was terrible. <laughs> like,
2: yeah, had yep. to be in a t shirt. Yep. Yeah, that's tough, man. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, it's, and you kind of get that anywhere. I mean, there's certain places that you got to be in the right dates. Like Wisconsin is one, Pennsylvania is one, because like if you don't hunt like this period, then gun season starts and, you know, all hell breaks loose, right? But like in other places, Iowa, Kansas, you know, even, you know, Missouri's like that too. You got to hit that. It seems like it's just getting good that last couple of days of bow season, and then boom, gun season hits and it just goes to shit, you know? So it's just. Yeah, you know, some places you can play the calendar pretty much spot on. Other places, you know, play the weather, you know, and if you have the flexibility yep. to do both, then you can kind of build yourself a pretty strong schedule. What part of Illinois yep. are
1: you guys going to be in?
0: Uh, I'd be West Central. Gotcha.
1: That's where that's like, I don't even,
0: I don't even know what County that is. If you said it, I would probably recognize it. I'm not personally hunting down there. I've been down to the least. Um, it's just kind of something we worked out a friend through a friend, knew somebody and we scooped up some ground and a couple other guys that have a little more flexible schedules, um, and have a, a drive that makes more sense than what my drive would be, um, are going to be hunting that. So it, cool. it seems like a really nice piece. I know those guys have uh, a couple really good bucks on camera this summer. So hopefully, hopefully it pans out. It, it looks pretty good though
1: awesome we'll be out there the uh second week of november um all the way down southern southern tip yeah yeah like okay just across the border from missouri yeah like stone's throw from the from the river there and that'll be our first time out there too and that's actually because we didn't draw in kansas this year
3: Mm -hmm.
1: so we're like well let's you know just figure out another rut trip basically and we're just hunting public down there we've we've got two small leases um Basically, like, a stand on each and then public from there. Public,
0: yep. Gotcha.
2: Yeah, should be good. I mean, we we shed hunted out there and just scouted around. Um, and shed season was really weird this past year. We, we shed hunted quite a bit. And I just, even though we were, I guess, later doing it,
1: I felt like we were early. <laughs> like, yeah. we were finding sheds, but they were well, we saw- a year plus old. Yeah, well, and we saw deer with full racks on their heads like at the end of March. It's like March twenty sixth. We were in Kansas. Yeah. Yeah, we were in Kansas, like walking through like our
2: honey hole of like we just walk around, pick up sheds, and it's like, oh, there goes all the sheds on their head still.
1: Shed hunting's weird, man. It's <laughs> you gotta get lucky first of all, but you also have to be where there's food. Yeah.
2: Yeah. It was really weird this year. And but like I said, we were finding sheds that were just a year or two old. Yeah. You know, which tells me that we were in the right area. They just didn't drop yet. So yeah, that, yeah, it'll be interesting. I know acorns are starting to fall, at least here, I assume in Illinois and some of these other places. So, I mean, that's going to start, crops are going to start coming off and patterns are going to start changing and, you know, we're in the heat of it. It's, it's crazy, man. You blink and it's November one and it's like, where the hell did
1: October go? Yeah. No Uh, doubt about it. I'm starting to feel like. This uh, podcast
0: could end up being three hours if you guys start talking sheds with me.
2: Oh dude, we're, we're. Well, we've been, uh, oh, we got a pile of them here on, the
1: on the table. Dude, I'm supposed to be getting one back from, uh, Klaus antlers by Klaus. Yeah. I missed it. just a big eight point a couple of years ago and we found 20. a shed this past, this past year and I sent it into Klaus to have it cleaned up. It was chewed up a little bit by some.
2: So that was the one you, f- we found the Spider-Man one and that same, that's a public Kansas shed. Mm-hmm. And then the one that you're getting fixed is a public Kansas shed. Yeah. Um, and then so are these chewed up monster or public Kansas shows. That's
1: got to be the biggest. I mean. Had it not been chewed up. Yeah, that's a giant. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, I mean, it. that's that's the kind of, I mean, that's the beauty of Kansas, even over some of these other places, is that, like, I'm not saying that it's better than private land, but, I mean, some of these big public tracks, I mean, they hold giants. Mm -hmm. You know, walk-in hunting or Army Corps land or whatever.
1: Mm -hmm. Like there's, there's giants in there. How how do you feel, Brian, about the public in Iowa? I mean, does it seem like there's opportunity there for non-resident? Like I know guys are us included putting in for four or five, six years to, you know, is coming out to hunt in public. Seem like it's worth it or?
0: Without a doubt, Iowa, Iowa public's awesome. I mean, there's, there's a lot of opportunities in the state of Iowa, the hardest thing is to get that tag. Um, you know, in those Northern zones, it's easy, you know, you can get a tag without waiting as long as the Southern zones, but throughout the state, there are a ton of, uh, public land opportunities and just from like public in Iowa to public in other states, it's a whole different ball game. I would, uh, having grown up hunting in Wisconsin, I would, I would hands down hunt Iowa public over, I would, over, I would hunt, uh, you know, three or 400 acres of private land in Wisconsin. Like it's, it's that good, like Mm -hmm. Iowa, just how they structure their deer season and everything around it is set up to grow big deer. And, you know, the main thing there is getting deer to that age where they can be big five, six years old. And Iowa's doing all the things right, um, for that to happen. So yeah, I would not, uh, I would not hesitate to hunt public land in Iowa. It's, it's awesome.
1: Yeah. Do you have some farms down there then, or did you buy any ground when you moved down or what, what is your plan?
0: I got lucky. I uh, met people through people and door knocking, and I've got a handful of private parcels that I hunt, but at the same time, there's a lot of public opportunities that like last year, Mike drew a tag down there and he'd hunted with me in the past four years ago and we hunted private. But then last year he wanted to take on the challenge of hunting public and I mean, he was hunting the same time frame I was, and I mean, he was seeing just as good a deer as I was like on a daily basis, like they're there, no doubt about it.
2: And that's kind of not necessarily my fear. And I guess not really even my hope, but at some point, Kansas has to adapt to that, right? Because we saw it this year. I mean, just in our area, I think there were a thousand more applications, like a 50% increase in applications than the previous year. And so at some point, and they have the preference point kind of scale put in place, but, you know, it's got to adapt to where if we want to keep high quality deer in Kansas, we're going to have to start having at least one, if not two points to hunt there, right? As a non-resident, because otherwise, you know, and we're seeing it in some of our places, like no knock to them, but like, we've got a Minnesota contingency of 15 guys that hunt in our area every time we're down there. And I guarantee the first three-year-old they see their whacking you know which is fine i'm not saying that's a bad thing but if you want to see i
1: feel like the residents are more of an issue personally i don't know i mean those <laughs> residents are only gun hunting there's like exactly. very few <laughs> yeah i don't know maybe i think they're just murdering
2: two and three year olds <sighs> yeah i i if they are it's changed a lot because at one point in time you know if you didn't kill a 160 or 170 like nobody even talked about it like nobody cared
1: yeah among the deer hunting community but there's a lot of just like drink beer and shoot them out of the back of the truck probably type of parties yeah it something has changed a lot in the last three to four yeah. years certainly there's more pressure from from non-residents that's definitely a factor mm-hmm. but
2: yeah. and crossbows because i think you can use a crossbow there if you want yeah gotta be so that's that's probably a big factor Yeah. And it's, you know, that's where I think, you know, you keep going back to, you know, people will talk about it forever, but Iowa is kind of the spot in that, you know, you still got a strong resident hunting population and a strong resident gun season and muzzleloader opportunities. Um, But, you know, ultimately because they keep non-residents at bay, you know, and most of the good places you got to have four or five points to four or five years so you can get drawn. Like, I think it'll continue to have that good quality aid structure for quite a while. Or Kansas is in jeopardy of it. Frankly, Missouri could be like that. We talked about that not too long ago. I think Missouri could be a giant state had they not just make it over the counter and rifle season during a rut and, you know, the list goes on. Wisconsin and Pennsylvania yep. are just shit out of luck. We just, people just murder everything. Knock <laughs> too, knock got, the spots off got of got them. Too many man. hunters. It's <laughs> yeah, just kicking the spots <laughs> off of them when they see them. Yeah, it's just, (laughs) although, I mean, I will say both states are known for producing big bucks every once in a while. Like, it's not consistent. It's not like you're going to go out and see four or five-year-olds all the time. But both states, whether you're in Buffalo County, Wisconsin, or uh, frankly, where we're at, I mean,
1: people are killing big bucks. They're seeing them. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely possible. It's not like a complicated equation to, like, make a big buck. It just needs, I don't know doesn't even need What's food. It, gonna be? it tw- just needs age. Tw- 20% maybe of deer genetically have the ability to get over one, 150, 160. Probably. And they just need five years of age. They just need age. That's all
2: it, that's all it takes. It's That is the only thing it takes. Like, I'm not worried about food in these areas. Hell, I'm not even worried about genes in these areas. You just get a buck to five years of age and, you know, there's a good chance he's going to be big in <laughs> retrospect to the people hunting that area. Yeah. But it's hard. You know, and especially because guys who think they're seeing 150 inch deer are seeing 130 inch three year olds, and they're oh, that's away. That's
1: absolutely the case. You know, and that's
2: they've just never seen a 150, and they probably never will because they're shooting them all at three. And that's you know, no knock to them, but if you want to see one, can't kill every three year old you see. And that's a tough that's a tough pill to swallow in states that traditionally we were killing one horn, three inch spikes or two and a half inch and shaving them down to make sure they were three. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Get the grinder out. (laughs) Yeah. Like that's just, that's just how these guys have grown up and they don't like change over that. And, you know, I can't blame them, but like it is, it goes back to those hunter number type of things that we talked about, especially these two States where traditionally have been, you know, a million plus type guy states. And, you know, we're in the 700s now and here in Pennsylvania, I'm not sure where Wisconsin's at, but you know, there are less hunters than there have been, especially in the nineties. You know, and whether it's restrictions or better management, like there are bigger bucks in these States. Um, And I think that they are continue to be bigger bucks in these States. In fact, I think they'll get more frequent, You know, as kind of the management mindsets come in, or, you know, frankly, people just don't hunt as much anymore. And, you know, it's an aging population. And that's a tough thing to swallow because, I mean, a lot of people will say, well, nobody wants to be the guy that says, I want less hunters. Right. But ultimately, a lot of us are thinking it. You know, if I've got less guys here, my chances of killing a bigger deer are are higher.
1: Yeah.
2: You know, so it'll be interesting. Yeah. That's the reality. Yeah. And it's just, and again, it and I get it. Like I'll be the first to say, like I'd pay more for a license if there were less hunters. If that's how the money needed to be made up federally, it doesn't work that way. But statewise, it would. Sure. So it's just it's it's a tough situation that we all kind of fall into. Is you know, yeah, we're losing hunter numbers, uh, and that's not good. It is in turn making deer hunting better in some states because there are less people.
1: Mm-hmm. You know complex
2: yeah yeah and i mean again nobody wants to be that guy saying that but you know if there's nobody hunting in your area you're gonna have bigger deer older deer
1: unless, i can't believe you said that <laughs> unless, yeah <laughs> unless the amish are that screwed. oh dude that trail camera picture weston sent me yesterday was hilarious i was dying it's a, just a I uh, he it, it's not his, it's just a trail camera picture of like an Amish buggy coming up over the field. Basically every deer that Jared ever wants to protect in Ohio gets killed by the Amish.
0: <laughs> yeah. Do you it's, guys follow uh what the hell's his name? Clifford Clifford Martin. Yoder. Um, that name came up yesterday.
2: Uh maybe it was
0: Weston who said that. He he posted he posted this. It's probably the same picture you guys are referring to.
1: Yep, yeah, there it, it is. <laughs> that's it. Who is he? Clifford Martin. Yeah,
0: Clifford Martin. He owns uh, Radix. Oh yeah. Trail yeah, cameras. Yep, stick and pick. Um, but yeah, he posted that. That's so is, funny, yesterday. dude.
2: It is. It uh, is. I, yeah,
0: I guess I don't know if someone sent that to him or if he had it on one of his farms. Oh, but yeah, that was pretty funny.
1: That's just the classic man. Those guys kill some deer. Oh yeah, a lot. Hammer of them. them. There's enough of them. Hmm. I mean, dude, that's how, I don't know what I'm talking about, but like, <laughs> it seems like there's a bunch of them, they get together and that's how they can afford these properties. Well, Strauss
2: just lost like a key piece of property, which was what, only 40 acres? Yeah. To not one, but
1: probably 12 Amishmen. But they paid like, what, 300K cash? For well, so, forty that's acres? What I'm that's Are you what I'm, kidding me? That's what I'm saying. Is I'm pretty sure they like they pull together yeah. and they they can afford it easily, mm-hmm. and then they all live there. Like they build a community, a community, and because they're they're perfectly fine, all living and, and hunting together. I still together.
2: don't understand, and and maybe it's just because I'm naive. <laughs> like I don't care if you pull twelve people together. Like three hundred k in cash is a lot of money. Yeah, but divided by twelve. Yeah, but what do they sell? Butter,
1: furniture, furniture,
0: furniture, woodworking stuff.
2: They yep. built.
1: They're great. They're oh yeah. I mean, they built my cabin. Amazing, in Kentucky. amazing craftsmen. Yeah, yeah, dude. The, the Amish do a lot of amazing stuff. Like, I don't mean to put them down at all. I assume Uncle Joe's not taxing them. I assume there's some kind of tax break. Mm. Can did we? I we like this up. <laughs> can Amish hunt deer any time of year? I don't, don't. I don't
2: think they can. I think we did talk about this. They still have to abide by season limits i don't know if they actually give a shit but sure but by law <laughs> yeah, they're supposed by to by law they're supposed to do the same stuff we do <laughs> <laughs> yeah fortunately they can't see these digital regulations
1: anymore <laughs> yeah i i'd like to i'd like to look into the uh the religious obligation against using trail cameras. you're gonna create like an, an amish investigation that's what, bureau that's, that's what i don't yeah the AMI, <laughs> I, AMB. I don't understand how they can like use trail camera. Like, dude, they're getting drivers to drive them to their properties and then they're using like crossbows. Like I'm pretty sure one of those guys has like a Garmin scope. Like, It's <laughs> <laughs> possible. He's like, listen, we, we sure as hell can't use this phone, but he pulls up, he's like got the Garmin.
2: I guess thing they on can, there. they can
1: text pictures. Like, I know my dad is texting our, one
2: of our neighbors. I think and that, I think it's the the line of Amish and Mennonite, and I'm sure there's other communities. Because like I know I've I when I used to do private consulting, I worked with a few of them in Missouri, and they were allowed if I bought the cameras and I placed the cameras, then they were allowed to check the cameras. Clearly,
1: it makes perfect sense.
2: <coughs> yeah. Speaking of which, those cameras are still out there. I didn't get their back. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's uh. I mean, it's obviously evolved from, like, at one point in time, like, in the 90s, like, they were, like, isolated. You didn't even, you saw them go out and just shoot a bunch of shit, but, like, they, the technology thing was not, I think it's evolved a lot more since then. I I also think,
1: again, I know nothing about this, but it seems like this, a spirit of uh, conservation is not really prevalent amongst the Amish community. It's more of a, just use the resources at your disposal. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so, like. Do you think that's because of, like,
2: crop damage and stuff when you're talking about, like, deer? Like they just want to kill as many deer as they can so their
1: crops. No, I just don't know that there is a, uh, I don't know if it's an understanding or if there's just any uh, importance given to conservation mm-hmm. in general. Gotcha. You know, whether that be. Soil conservation, yeah, and wildlife exactly. conservation. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. I think it's just a use the resource. Mm-hmm. Use the research, and then, it, then we'll go by another well, because one. Because <laughs> America was that way until, like, I don't know, freaking Teddy Roosevelt was probably one of the original yeah uh, introducers of like a spirit of conservation to say, like, if we continue killing mm-hmm. wildlife at this rate, like it'll be gone sure um, by now, mm-hmm. you know. And so I think he and some other organizations and stuff are probably to be credited for that spirit of conservation that I think we kind of all share.
2: So we need to introduce Teddy's theories to the Amish. Yeah, oh, yeah, they don't care. Yeah. They'll just use the resources and then go buy Strauss's hunting property.
1: Yeah. And then use that up and then go buy another one. Yeah. Well, it, yeah, it is what it is. I mean, all you can do is try to avoid it or eat it or I don't know. It, it
2: I mean, it comes back to that expectation of like, you know, can't kill big buck if he's not there or, you know, listen, if, if you've got Amish on one side or you got neighbors that'll shoot anything
1: that walks, like odds of you grow in five-year-old bucks are just not good. Yeah, I will say. I mean, dude, uh, a lot of the Amish people that I have met are, are good people. Like that. Yeah, I'm not saying anything about their their character. It's just literally their mentality as it pertains to deer hunting, mm-hmm. which, in the grand scheme of things, is so small. Um, but I do think that they're open, at least, to like collaborating as neighbors to say, "Oh." It's so different, we, though, when than when I when I was in Mississippi. Like a lot of those
2: uh, Amish and or Mennonites. They were bringing in 160, 170-inch bucks, and
1: they sure as shit weren't killing anything small and young. Like, they were killing well, all that, big That bucks. also exists, too. I think there are some, you know, that have had better hunting opportunities that are probably like, oh, you know, yeah, that's what I want to shoot. You know, they're, they're people, too, <laughs> I guess.
3: Hmm.
1: I don't know. It is what
2: it is. Just, like, farmers versus cattle farmers, like, Crop farmers just want to kill all the deer so they don't eat up their crops. Cattle farmers really don't give a shit. hmm You know, same way. hmm I don't know, man. To each his own. To each his own. Well, Brendan, we uh, appreciate you coming on this morning, man. We didn't want to eat up your whole morning, but um, I guess kind of before we go, you know, we talk about some of the platforms. How many episodes uh, do you guys think you're going to be putting out I guess, separated from non semi live type stuff. So, uh, your planned episodes this fall.
0: Um, well from last year, we've got 16, we've already released, uh, eight of them Mm -hmm. and, uh, we've got eight more coming. So there's 16 total from season eight. Um, this year, the sky's the limit. I mean, we're hoping, we're hoping to push 20, hopefully. I mean, that's, it's hunting. You never know what's going to happen. Um, but that's kind of our goal this year is to hit 20. We've never done it before and we're going to need to have a good season to do it. But, uh, that's the, that's the goal 20.
2: Very cool, man. And so we'll send people to your YouTube channel. They can check out obviously your Instagram or Facebook, um, you know, to really find all this stuff out and and be able to follow the breaking point. And, And I would even encourage them to go back if they haven't looked at your stuff to watch some of the past seasons. I think there's some really good content there from, from years past that, you know, is, is good stuff to sit there and binge on for a while. And, um, what to pull you guys back in maybe after the season's over, or if we have an ATA show, I'm sure you guys will be at the ATA show.
0: Yeah. Yeah. If there's a show, we'll, uh, we'll definitely be there.
2: (laughs) So if there's a show, we're going to actually have a live podcast booth set up down there. So it'd be cool maybe to pull a bunch of you guys in from breaking point, kind of talk about your season and recap and, and you know, what the plans are moving forward into 22.
0: For sure, yeah. Just keep us posted. We'd be uh, glad to hop on a podcast down at the show, and uh, hopefully, you guys knock some deer down this fall. And we're, <laughs> we're gonna go try. We're, gonna, some we're gonna give
2: them hell, man. <laughs> they, uh, you know, I got one. I got do. one on
0: a semi pattern here for,
2: for opener weekend. in Ohio. Yeah, yeah. we'll Maybe. see. I'll be in Columbus, which who knows what can happen there for a couple of days. So. We'll give them hell, man. Well, we appreciate you coming on, Brennan, and uh, hopefully everybody will go over and check out the breaking point on on YouTube and social media and check out the videos from this year and years past, and we look forward to you guys putting some deer down and releasing some new content this year.
0: Sounds good, guys. I appreciate you guys having me on. Thanks okay. again. Thanks, Brennan. Thanks, buddy. You bet. We'll see you guys later. See hey, man.
2: Good. Yeah, I, I think that's really what kind of the – interesting thing will be with those guys and and a lot of them is it sounds like Brennan's already formed this business strategy really well and hasn't invested too much into YouTube yet you know which is probably going to be a saving grace with what it sounds like over the next few months um, you know so I think those guys will be fine how these other guys function I I don't know I mean you lose 30 days of revenue for all I know for some of these guys that's 40 or 50 grand Mm -hmm. you know and that's how do you pay your bills how do you pay your people working with you and yeah um it's a big disruption to this industry but i hope that it opens up opportunities for someone again whether it's an outdoor america or whoever to realize like if you take care of these guys and you're loyal to them and you can help pay them and and make sure they're making money you have an opportunity to be different than anything else that's out there right now um and you'll draw in the right content and again Who's going to be the one that says, I don't care what you wear, who you are, where you've been, you make great content, I want you on my channel? Because it doesn't sound like anybody's done that yet. I don't know, man. It's very confusing. I mean, in all honesty, we're still going to watch YouTube. Even if they can't monetize it, that's not my problem, and I don't really look to say, oh, that is monetized, like I should watch it.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think at the end of the day, you know, people could say, like, well, Boycott YouTube and stuff. It's like,
2: dude, we've been there already. Yeah,
1: convenience is gonna win our, every single time.
2: We've boycotted Facebook and Instagram, and it, it, it's just, it's not gonna change. And it, it's not that I don't like what big tech's doing. It's just, what are you gonna do? Where are you gonna go? Yeah, you know, parlor. <laughs> yeah, does that exist still? I don't think so. <laughs> Maybe somebody's probably gonna get real angry that it. But seriously, putting
1: up great numbers. It's huge. Best we've ever seen.
2: Huge. Yeah, I mean, you're just not going to – it's just not going to happen. It's not realistic. From I think that your point on convenience is huge. People just want to go to a place that if I want to watch sports or if I want to learn how to cook this or if I want to watch hunting, it's all in the same place. Mm-hmm. And there just aren't that many options out there. YouTube is one of them, and the main one. How you get away from that, I don't know. I'm not saying you can't be in other places, but all in all, that will always be where
1: the eyeballs are. Yeah, I mean, I just think it comes down to a network being, like, recognizing the the audience of hunting viewership that's out there and, and purchasing mm-hmm. content is what it comes down to. Well, and while you're on YouTube, might as well subscribe to this podcast. Yeah, <laughs> yeah give us a watch. In the meantime.
2: In the meantime, we're not going anywhere. But we appreciate you listening to uh, Brennan Nading on this episode of Hunter Podcast and The Breaking Point. Uh, go over check those guys out I'm sure they've got some great content that's going to be dropping here over the next few weeks in the fall and uh, we're going to start getting our mind wrapped around opening day this weekend in Ohio and
1: try to freaking kill something yeah I I gotta try to take it uh funny how like the the entire offseason my brain is like yes deer hunting hype hype and then as soon as it gets here it's hard like yeah yeah it's 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 a a grind for sure you have to just kind of you know, pace yourself and take every day as it comes. Like I want it to be like, oh, okay, I've prepared all summer and now I'm ready. It's like I've done all the work this season, but now it's like patience and just wait mm-hmm. to see how it kinda of pans out.
2: Well and, and also like we talked to the buck that you're potentially going to go after this weekend, like if you don't go after him by Monday, likely his pattern's changing. He ain't gonna be doing the same thing. Maybe. So yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting, but at least we're in the game, and you know we're gonna give it hell, and hopefully you guys are listening to this and being like, oh yeah, you guys both tagged out this past weekend. That'd be sweet. That would be awesome.
1: But time will tell. Time will tell.
2: All right, we appreciate you guys listening to this Hunter podcast. We'll see you next week. It's seeing
0: me. Later.